0: Baruch Hashem, you're a bad Jew. Shalom. You're listening to Bad Jew. With me today is Aliza Klein. I couldn't be more excited to have the head and founder of One Table. Basically, a couple of years ago, I started seeing all these links to one table. My first reaction was, I-, I don't know why I have to RSVP and register to go to your Shabbat, but sure. And then now, as time has gone on, like it's become kind of a centerpiece to the YJP experience. And I can't believe I actually am speaking to the creator of this amazing uh, experience. So, Aliza, welcome to Bad Jew.
1: Thanks. Happy to be yeah. here.
0: Yeah, you you've uh, described yourself as a social entrepreneur. Uh, you've described yourself as a dynamic, dynamic leader. What's the root of that? Where does that come from?
1: I understand more and more of myself that I am somebody who immediately, immediately upon learning anything or seeing something or experiencing something, my first instinct is is to say like, oh, what if we did it this way? Could we make it better? Could we wait in line less long? Could we? Could the flavor be better? You know, like I have this way of thinking comes up in just about every facet of my life. And I actually have to coach myself and remind myself to take a breath, see the beauty in things also, make I give space for other people. But, you know, I love problem solving. And throughout my life, if I've come into an experience that was a little bit meh, but could have been better, my inclination, my instinct is almost always to say like, well, what if we tried it this way? And not everybody's positively responsive to that. So that's how I can quickly determine who are my partners to help actually make change.
0: I love that. I think that's very humble. I think that's very self-aware. And I, I really respect that kind of leadership as a fellow entrepreneur. And I really love what One Table is doing. As all the fans of Bad Jew you know, the way this podcast starts is we do the Bad Jew Challenge. That is tell your life story in four minutes. Are you feeling ready, Aliza?
1: I'm feeling ready. I mean, I feel like I have a little bit more of my life than uh, that I have to pack in, but I can do it. I think all
0: I can. right. Well, let's see what you got and go
1: okay born in new york city in mount sinai like all of us we're all born at sinai Um, my father is a pulpit rabbi my mother was a dancer and an arts administrator and so between the two of them our their careers led us to philadelphia colorado louisiana but primarily i grew up in the rocky mountains and colorado springs looking at pike's peak out my window loving the grandeur of the environment feeling like a tremendous minority in terms of being a jewish family we were 0.3 percent of the population and very prominent ones at that so my experience was very much through the lens of being this rabbinic family but because my mother was a dancer it meant our house was always filled also with choreographers and dancers and artists from all over the world, especially from the coasts, who would come into our home, uh, and we were the hosts So, my expression of who I am as a person um, in many, in great part, comes from welcoming all kinds of people into our actual home. And my role as the middle child of three, very clear in terms of uh, I set the table, oftentimes, Uh, I would put on costumes and entertain the guests. But it was a big part of who I was. I sought out other opportunities to find connections, community growth uh, in the youth group in Denver, to college in St. Louis at Washington University, where I realized that being a Jew was not unique. Um, being one who gave a shit was unique. Um, and that kind of put me on a whole new path of like, huh, how come other people don't give? And what Why would they? And what's the difference? And that kind of curiosity really led me through spending time in Israel back and forth to meet people with different experiences. Uh, My first job out of college was uh, as the public policy fellow at International Hillel, which means I got to live in Washington, D.C. I got to be exposed to all kinds of interesting people who really cared about social change issues and were approaching that through a Jewish lens. That was totally energizing and inspiring to me. I especially got introduced to a number of women who were 20 or 30 years my senior, who I was so impressed by and wanted to emulate. And that kind of put me on a path. My first job offer came in that same year to be the director of a national program. I was 22. I didn't know anything. And one of my mentors said young women don't always get that opportunity to be the director of something, let alone when they're at this stage, I think you should say yes. So I basically worked two jobs initially, my fellowship at Hillel and this job running a national program. Uh, And I just kept taking leaps ever since then. I always seek out things that don't exist yet. And so I have been able to work at or lead a series of startups. Um, from the Jerusalem Open House, which is a uh, LGBTQ community center in Jerusalem, to the Arava Institute for Environmental Studies, which brought together Palestinians, Israelis, Jordanians, Americans, to focus on the environmental uh, collaboration, um, eventually to start a mikveh, am I time?
0: No, you're, you're oh, I'm all right
1: uh, to go um, to eventually um, to actually create a, a mikvah, which is a immersive bath combined with a healing center and an art center and an education center to say, like, can we take the most hidden, mysterious Jewish ritual and make it the most accessible, radically accessible That continue to shape my life. And so now I'm like, well, let's do that for Shabbat. And here I am. Oh, along the way, I got married to this extraordinary man named Bradley Salmson and three beautiful girls. I live very close to my siblings and to my parents even now. And and tonight I am hosting about nine of them for Shabbat dinner.
0: Wow, incredible. You're kind of a big deal, aren't you? <laughs> and you made it just by the way, like you use those four minutes so economically, so well. <laughs> We've had people come on, and like they literally say one sentence about their life and I'm like what do I do with that no you gave uh everything and that like your res like your resume is so impressive and I also love that you met this amazing guy named Bradley and you have this yeah. amazing family because that's kind of my goal I, I actually resonate that because I really want to have my own children one day I want to have three children so I really envy the number of children that you have and I love that. That's amazing.
1: I will tell you that one of the reasons I married him, there were a couple of reasons, which I'm happy to go into great length for you at any point. But I will also say that he did host my siblings and me for Shabbat dinner. and Mm -hmm. I'm always the host and I got to be a host, I guess, at his house. And he did it really well. I'm like, okay,
0: that's good. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I I gotta, I gotta imagine as well, by the way, I'm kind of realizing like with everything that you've described, in your previous experiences between the organizations, but then also your personal, you know, feats like, you know, again, like having a family and 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 you know m- amazing this meeting this amazing husband. I gotta imagine that's partly where you came up with the the core values of what of what one table stands for here. It's joy, welcoming and elevation. Is that what you would say Bradley has kind of introduced to you in a lot of ways?
1: He would so love me to say
0: yes. <laughs> but it's no. <laughs>
1: Look, I think the to pull back the curtain, and yes, I mean, I think that he, he lives those very much with me, and it's bringing Judaism as a source of joy for our children and our family, really an anchor. It's our love language also, so I think that absolutely... The values, interestingly, like when we we first generated a list of 15, then for a few years we had seven because seven is a holy number, Shabbat's on the seventh day of the week, um, but it was actually very hard for people to remember, right? There's certain numbers that, that have become hard and the core values are actually less helpful to an organizational culture if people can't summon them right away. So ultimately we ended up taking that, like this list of, you know, like this way, like, 15 to seven to then three to see if we could really sharpen our language and combine themes. So for example, one of them is elevation, which for the Hebrew, we say kedusha. So kedusha is usually holiness or specialness or separateness. Mm -hmm. And Shabbat is one of the reasons that it's so much a part of our heritage is that it's considered sacred. It's set apart from the rest of time, but elevated. We think is more, a more approachable, identifiable interpretation of the word kedusha. But inherent in that are two other core values that didn't make it to the top three, but are absolutely part of the story. One is kavana, and the other is keva. It's helpful that they're all with a same kuf. So kavana means intention. Right. Right. I on Friday, I have the power to say shabbat shalom i have therefore by doing that i can light candles i can make the ritual i've just gone from it being a friday night to being heir of shabbat right that that's by my power and by my intentionality otherwise it's just a day the pool of water i mentioned before is just a pool of water unless my intention is that it has become a mikvah which is a, a place for for that kind of spiritual transition Right. And keva it means kind of a regularity or practice or habit. So some people have a practice of yoga, for example, or they run on a regular basis, or I'm and a vegetarian, right? That's their keva. Um, yeah. And in, in Jewish life, keva is like, well, I'm I'm praying certain three three days, three times a day, and I follow these certain order. And so the fact that Shabbat happens every Friday. That you want to build this into a practice, so keva kavana and kedusha, we folded it all into elevation. So, so it's a great long story behind each of those values.
0: And it's funny because I was just, just describing keva as in keeping Shabbat on a routine. To me, it's funny. I, I would never before this interview think of keva as maintained for Shabbat. I mm-hmm. would actually always think of Shabbat as the thing that breaks keva, as in mm-hmm. like my keva when i'm thinking of that routine in my life you know i go to the I, I exercise four days a week you know mondays and thursdays i am running two miles and then on tuesdays and wednesdays i am doing exercises like uh weight and you know leg day Register. which is the worst but you know we got to do these things right you, you can you can you can relate yeah. so yeah. It, it makes sense that it would be a routine and on that, on that theme, I, I
1: wanna move you from routine though, like you were, which is also to practice, which I think is a I when one table got studied, got started, I studied a lot of habit formation. Okay. Uh, why? So when we talk about habit from that that and habit formation in the last 10, 15 years has primarily been understood by Silicon Valley, like how do I get people kind of addicted to you know, be real is brilliant, right? You got to pick up your phone and be real at the exact same moment. They've created a habit out of right. the way in which you're engaging with technology. And if it can be habit forming, then you can be addicted to it. And then you buy more of it. That's like the dark side of habit formation, right? The positive side sure. of habit formation, right? is you're like, okay. you know, some people are going like couch to 5k before they can run anywhere near what you are, right? So like they start to build, that's a positive, form of habit formation. Okay, well I'm going to start by walking every day and then I do this like and how to like my habit is to take the stairs and not the like if I'm going to the elevator that there's elevator or stairs I take the stairs. That's my habit. I get more steps in. It's better for me. It makes me feel good, whatever, right? The habit formation and i can be a struggle because if something becomes super habitual, then it might become mindless instead of mindful, right? So like I brush my teeth at the exact same time every day. That's my habit. Am mm-hmm. I always thinking about getting into the crevices? No, I, my mind is usually wandering. So if I want with a ritual, like Shabbat or any Jewish ritual or any religious ritual, mm-hmm. I have to have the kavanah part. Otherwise it actually doesn't count. Maimonides actually teaches this, right? Like he's like, he's a rabbi that I think of in terms of, of order, translated all of, he, he took 613 commandments and, and, um, connected those back with the Torah portions so that you can see the sources in each one. It's very kind of regimented. And he is the same guy who said, if you don't bring kavanah to these certain rituals, it's as though you haven't done it, right? It's It can't be a mindless act. That's why I said before, I'm going to make Shabbat. And we use that language. Let's We make Shabbat, right? God made Shabbat, but we get to make Shabbat by actually proclaiming the Shabbat and by changing the way we're engaging with our life. So, but it's easier to do this if it becomes routine if it becomes something that's built in to my habit so i think there's a really fascinating tension between habit and and kavana and that's i think where religious ritual fits in right it's ritual by per definition is something that we do ritually right uh-huh. and also intentionally so right. that we get the transformative power of it
0: Right. I want to backtrack. I, I have so many questions based off what you just said. By the way, so it's going to be so hard for me to like go back and remember everything here. First thing is you 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 said make shabbat. Is that first of all is that a one table expression okay. or that, no. that that's that's like saying. Jew speak, that's Jew right? Speaking.
1: Like it's so, like traditional Jew speak, and it, it and um, as opposed to so I think some of it. So there's the Hebrew word la asot, uh, is translated as to make or to do like, and we say, so we say, for example, I'll do it and then I'll understand it, which means like when we're like, "Gotta just start um, eating in a way that is mindful in, in, in terms of how you're expressing your awareness of Judaism through eating, like keeping kosher. Right. So that's, right. for example, like you may not understand it, Just do it. And then eventually you'll form an understanding that is meaningful and powerful. That's especially relevant to the rules that we have that are not logical, right? Like what we do and don't eat is not about logic. It is about other things and custom and just doing it as opposed to like, don't steal. That's really logical. You should not, even if you don't understand it, you should not do it. Eventually you'll understand it. And if you mess up, you'll really understand it. Right. But other things that we don't like, so not seven seven is a really interesting teaching. And the way I, I would take that for Shabbat is like, bef- I don't need you to take a class on all of the elements of Shabbat. Tonight, it starts tonight. So we're recording this on a Friday. I Tonight is Shabbat. Don't miss an opportunity to experience it just because you don't feel like you understand it yet, which is not to say... That understanding isn't essential to your growth, but the first step may be experiencing it, and that's where the lasso of the nasa fits in. So, to make Shabbat or make Shabbos, I don't actually know. You're asking me. That's a. I'm feeling like a bad Jew for a second. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know the source of that specifically. That's my guess.
0: Right. Well. So. So here's here's the thing that I I don't know if it's contradiction or maybe I'm not understanding something, but. We're not supposed to create things on Shabbat. For those who practice Shabbat, who who might know the customs, you know, you know, you're not supposed to go ahead and make food. You're not even supposed to light a match because you're creating a new energy on Shabbat, right? And it's as as a day of rest because God made the universe in six days, and on the seventh day He rested. That seventh day is supposed to be our Shabbat, right? That's the parallel that we draw to God. There, right? The seventh
1: so, day is the seventh day of creation. It just would
0: encourage you. Seventh day to of that. cre- that's right. That's right. Meaning, so, mean,
1: meaning, meaning meaning Uh that rest is part of creation. It's not that the creation is done and then we rest, but rest is actually essential to creation.
0: So that like breathing, right? You can't just inhale. You have to exhale as well. Exactly. Gorgeous. Yes. That's gorgeous, Yes. Yes. Thank you. So, okay. So the part that I don't understand, if we're not supposed to create, why can we make Shabbat? Yeah. And maybe Um, that's just something that's lost in translation between Aramaic to Hebrew to English. I'm not sure.
1: Uh, well, but I well, kind of imagine let's,
0: that's a contradiction.
1: Let's start with what happens on a Friday before Shabbat. Okay. And and actually, I mean, if, if you're really into Shabbat, it starts before then. And So, in order to be uh, totally present, we want to not... The, the teaching goes, we just kind of like... You're just going to be for a minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just be. Leave the world as it is. You can imagine the way the world could be, right? Um, but we're not going to... We're going to give ourselves that deep exhale before we go back into doing that. And that exhale mm-hmm. can last 25 hours. It's this extraordinary gift where Shabbat somehow is magically a day is an hour longer than the rest of the days. So we can talk about that how that happens, but it's pretty cool. And and the idea is right, in, in order for me to have that luxury of expansiveness of time where I don't have to check my emails or go shopping ugh, or do something that's like stress inducing and alters the world, I can just, I have full Permission, like spiritual, religious, moral tr- permission, to take a to take a minute to restore yourself. In order to do that, I have to prepare. So, I there's a um, a wonderful teacher named Tiffany Schlein who wrote a book called Twenty Four Six. She brings kind of a tech Shabbat approach. So, she's a she's not uh, inspired by Halacha. She's really inspired by. The way she could actually engage with her family and friends, and even in touch with herself, with her body, if she was not on her phone, and she was a, you know, she's a filmmaker and a tech person, so she started thinking like, oh my god, on Shabbat I can do this tech Shabbat, I can cut it off, and it becomes a ritual, becomes a an intentionality of it. But that means she needs to be prepared, so she has to let people know in advance, hey, I, um, let's meet up at two o'clock at the park. I'm telling you that now because i'm not going to be able to be reached to have that conversation earlier so that's like a social preparation she also makes a stack takes a stack of books of like all the things that she really wanted to read or look at throughout the week but she ran out of time and she puts that in a stack so on shabbat afternoon she can pull from that right that's like how did that. we prepare for that so that's yeah. comparable to if i don't want to actually cook on shabbat but i definitely want to eat so i'm going to cook in advance we light Shabbat candles because they're beautiful, and they feel good, and they change the kind. But also so that we can see. <laughs> right. So traditionally, we didn't use electricity at all. So we would light the candles just before Shabbat begins, right? So that we have light throughout the time, um, and and so all of those are um, additional kind of. Uh, lead up to the rituals, which in fact, some of them are rituals themselves, which help us make get to that elevated stage where we can actually be present. So there's very active, right? It's, it's, it is a lot of making, a lot of making, 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 um, and then being.
0: Fascinating. So going back to your, the, the person, what's her name who wrote the book? Tiffany Schlein. Tiffany so going back to Tiffany Shlain, right? She described this act that she needs to to do these things in order to separate. And I, I can relate to that as an entrepreneur whose business is entirely online. You know, our, my company Miss Thrive Media or a marketing agency that does the podcast production as well. So, as you can imagine, this space right here is where I am 5 days a week, if yeah. not 6 days a week, right? Yeah. It definitely feels like survival and You know, when I was looking for some research on Shabbat, I wanted to hear some other perspectives on it. The Orthodox Union had a take on on Shabbat that I had never heard before. And in fact, here is the article. Here's a piece from this article from the Orthodox Union talking about why is Shabbat important? Without the Sabbath, the Jew would have vanished. It has been said that as much as the Jew has kept Shabbat, so has Shabbat kept the Jew. As long as Judaism exists as a vibrant, vital force, the, the, the Sabbath is its most outstanding ritual practice.
1: So I found that
0: I found that to be really fascinating. Again, survival. Yeah. I, have, yeah. I would have never used that word. Yeah. Where does that stem from in your Yeah.
1: So I would your, say a couple different things. And and also, so the they're pulling from this quote by Achad Ha'am, who was a um that's his, his nom de plume. Um he was a, a poet and writer, an early Zionist thinker. And I have also seen it translated as more than Shabbat. More than the Jews have, more than the Jews plural have kept Shabbat. Shabbat has kept the Jews. So that's really interesting because the way yeah. they're using it is in the singular. In the plural, it seems very obvious, right? Shabbat is the kind of a core time when we come together to be with people that we love, to be with people who don't have a place to go, right? Our our primary time of praying is is can we come together on Shabbat? Which um, when we read Torah, there's a um, and there's a very um, long tradition around like the, a festive meal to start Shabbat uh, in the afternoon, at the end, right? We're like, how many festive meals can we shove into a 25-hour period? At least three. And so there is a real focus on community in terms of the celebration of Shabbat. So one way that you could talk about the survival is that we actually need to be in relationship with each other. And Shabbat provides that reminder, like, oh, my God, right, 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 Shabbat Shalom. Right. And I will tell you a beautiful story, which is was written by Anita Diamond who wrote The Red Tent, which is a best-selling novel uh, that takes apart the story of Dina, a daughter of Jacob Yaakov. Yaakov, But she writes a different story. Her husband had converted to Judaism, and they were very intentional about their home Jewish life. And every Shabbat, they would light the candles, and they would kiss each other and say Shabbat Shalom, no matter what. Now, they've been married for almost 40 years, Not every week and not every moment is easy peasy. Um, But the ritual was we light the candles, we kiss each other and we say Shabbat Shalom. I love Um, that. So there's an intimacy built in. So you're also... We are we're actually instructed to have sex on Shabbat. Um, so there's a literal part, yeah, of survivalism that happens. It's an elevated joy. And for the yeah. sake of joy, by the way, not just procreation, which that's right. one of the things that's unique to Judaism. So in this case, there's the joy, there's the connection, there's intimacy.
0: Wait, sorry, would- I'm, I'm caught up on that. I, that's actually breaking something that I've always had a preconceived notion about. You're saying that the Torah is encouraging Jews in that moment to have sex just for pleasure, not necessarily for procreation?
1: Correct. Oneg. So our third va- core value, by the way, is oneg, which is joy, which is a unique joy that is associated with Shabbat. It's delight is how we would translate it in all its forms, my friend. That's part of the reason we have, we drink wine because we alter our state of mind because it's Shabbat, right? Yeah. It's expansive. Like if you're going to microdose, Shabbat is the time to do it. <laughs> like that's, that's the invitation. So it's about, there is a, it's an altered state. It's joyful. It's elevated in all the ways, in all the ways.
0: I've never heard that before. I've always only heard from the Jewish perspective that sex should be only be for procreation. Um, no. That in just fact, changed. I don't know in, any in, other faith. I don't know any other monotheistic religion that says that Judaism uh, sorry that sex uh, <laughs> can be for pleasure. So wow. Okay. And,
1: and, and yes, there's I mean you you could do a whole badge on this one which I strongly encourage you to do. I do um, want to do an episode yes, on yes, the Jewish yes, perspective of sex.
0: That's a question that's written down for sure
1: definitely definitely there's you know the the obviously the most of the teachings about sexuality are heteronormative in in certainly in traditional jewish sources and there's a lot about the requirement of the man also to pleasure the woman oh I mean, there's some really good stuff in there there's some good, good. stuff in there
0: yeah. yeah yeah great.
1: and definitely on shabbat definitely yeah. on shabbat that's a joke okay. it's like A double mitzvah get it? it's like a mitzvah of yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. and then you get double. all right <laughs> we're into twofers. okay nice. but then there's more so then then becomes like the psychosocial need for rest so there is also, if you study behavioral economics, I mean, I love all this stuff then, and be, I love it because it all keeps coming back, it keeps coming back, right? So whether it's uh, uh, habit formation or behavioral economics or, or you know psychology or intimacy or sex studies, we haven't even gotten to the theology piece here. So if you study behavioral economics, the concept of ego depletion can tie right back into Shabbat. So basically the idea is I wake up in the morning, um, I have well-rested, I make wise decisions. I eat pretty healthily for breakfast and even exercise or run, clear-headed. As the day goes on and I get fatigued, my, my thinking is is less clear. And if I'm gonna have a bowl of ice cream, it's probably gonna be after 10 p.m., right? We are Because our, our ego is depleted, every time we have to make a decision, our ego gets depleted a little bit more and it's exhausting. And then by the end of the week, can you just imagine how we are? If we didn't have Shabbat, to build that in as a structure we might not literally have the strength the sechel, the brains the clarity to begin again and be a good person and engage in the world so it's actually a um like the the need for rest is profound and most of our culture does not focus around rest right our um you, you mentioned that you work in media media is 24/7 right you're taking a break but media is not so how do you so it's It's very hard. It's countercultural to create that space. So the countercultural thing also helps for Jewish survival because it makes us separate, different. It's an opportunity to find your other people who have also said, I'm stopping and I'm stopping now. Why am I stopping on Friday? Because it's Yom Shishi and Yom Shishi leads into Shabbat. And that's how my people make that break. So there's a lot of reasons that you can unpack that, that beautiful and very kind of intense quote from the OU.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Thank you for dissecting that. And I think yeah. that it's, it was a very powerful statement that when I read it, it just yeah. was really changing. Uh, so, but speaking of powerful statements though, you actually said something at the very beginning of this podcast that I wanted to address here. And that is you had described Shabbat as radical. Yeah. Why is it radical? I don't, I don't understand that concept because if, if in my mind, if something's radical, it means that it, it breaks patterns. It it's not something that people do normally. And that there are a lot of Jews that do it normally. There are, there are, in
1: fact, not a lot of Jews that do it normally. <laughs> okay. There are, there, are, there are a lot of, well, it depends on when you when you say a lot, let's talk about what a lot means, right? Okay, so, fair. I mean, I think that you were getting there yourself. Like for Jews who have grown up within a halachic system, there's n- it is not radical, it's how, it is how they live. It is a natural extension of who they live, but they may still define it as radical because they understand if they're actually elevating and getting there to the, the the liturgical pieces about Shabbat, the the time apart, the radicalness of rest, of actually not engaging in the world. We, have, we are, um, you know, you asked me at the beginning what makes me an entrepreneur and I talked about my desire to fix things, right? Like that is a very strong desire that I have that I have to say, hold off on that for today. And by the way, when I'm struggling with something on a Friday at work and I don't resolve it, on Monday, my solution is much better. It's always better because I have had time to think about it and break that. That is radical, right? There is pressure for us to engage all the time, to perform all the time, to produce all of the time. So many industries bill by the hour, for example, or by the widget or the connection, uh, the like, the whatever it is. And there's, so who is giving you permission to just say, hey, just stop for a minute, right? So then you're like, well, my tradition is giving me tradition is giving me permission, excuse me, or my community is giving me permission, which may mean that I have to choose a community of people who are also taking a break because it's very hard to do this all by yourself, right? And then you're thinking, well, if if it's in my tradition, is it in my God giving me permission? Why is God giving permission to do that? Like Mm -hmm. the world's a mess and it's on me to make the world better. That's one of the commandments. I got to get engaged in the world. And now you're saying, no, take a break from the world. This is extremely radical. And I think I go back and forth between thinking about that it's hard because it is, and wanting to erase that narrative because my business and I think my life's work is about providing more entry points. So it may be that, you know, you're far from doing a 25-hour Shabbat practice that looks like a customary Orthodox practice, but in fact is deeply meaningful to you and quite radical because it's such a shift. We talked about Kaddusha before. Kadosh, kadusha means separate, holy, right? So, How are you, how are you making the time separate? It's really easy to go through the world in a mindless way. It is much harder to be mindful. And Shabbat is like, try to be mindful for 25 hours. Okay, try for 25 minutes. Okay, try for 25 seconds, right? And then you made it 25 seconds. Awesome. Take a deep breath and then try again. And then you know, like see how much of that time you can actually be focusing on people you love, on the food you just tasted. On the blessings or the, or the prayers you just recited or are reciting the walk you're taking the way the sky looks like and and then what are the benefits of that i mean it's pretty intense but but that's radical
0: once again you're shifting my perspectives on how i've used but as a matter of fact you know this is a, where the orthodox union would actually agree with you more than me in in my previous experiences with shabbat you know i grew up with shabbat as a family as a familial thing And now, you know, I sometimes plans come up that I don't practice Shabbat, of course, the halachic way, but I will tell myself that, yeah, I'm getting I'm giving myself a sense of Shabbat by doing this activity Friday night. In those 25 hours, I do make it a point to do anything work related. If I receive any work emails Friday night to Saturday night, I am intentionally not looking at them. I'm not even going to. Open my like, I'm not even going to open the email to check it out. I'm just not going to even acknowledge that they're there because I am taking a sense of Shabbat right. by not addressing it. But the Orthodox Union more so parallels with what you're describing here. Here in this quote, there's this is later on, in the same article that they talked about here. Uh, Many of us who hold Onto this simple notion, we feel that the Sabbath was given as a day of rest for the weary worker, but this notion would imply that if we do not feel particularly tired, there is no need to keep Shabbat at all. I'm the weary worker, by the way. In fact, all too many of us use this as an excuse not to keep Shabbat. But this simple day of rest explanation of Shabbat is really very weak. And the more we examine it, the weaker it becomes. In fact, it fails to explain any of the questions we have just raised. So I think that's where you and the Orthodox Union happen to agree. Oh, yeah. I'm totally fascinated by that notion and and I'm you know it's making me think a little bit differently. This is why I started the podcast. I wanted to be challenged here. I'm going to ask conversational, yeah. and I'm yeah. gonna let people would be confrontational with their education towards me. Yeah. So yeah. that's actually I think you really yeah. just inspired me to to have a deeper sense of Shabbat that I, I hope heard. so. Yeah. I mean, mean, you know,
1: the other thing that's super cool, Chaz, is that Shabbat happens every seven days, no no matter what. And uh, like no matter what. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, when you were a kid, you played hide and seek. You might have said, but you're not here. I come. Right. Like you count down. Shabbat is like I mean, Passover comes once like all these holidays. We in, in every other aspect of our lives in 2023, we tend to control time. Right. I don't watch things. I I watch TV when it's the right time for me, maybe when I'm like on the subway. Right. Like I am in total control of when I am consuming different things, what people work from their bed. I mean, it's just a very different thing than it used to be. But yet when it comes to Shabbat and other Jewish holidays, we yield to this like lunar slash solar calendar that we have and uh, some of us work till late on Fridays and we're like oh that makes it harder how am I going to do it I need to be really thoughtful you know if you live in a in a really deeply heavily populated Jewish community you know which there are pockets of in the U.S. and certainly throughout the world and of course in Israel then everybody's like hey Shabbat Shalom and everybody ends early on Friday and it like creates systems around making this easier for us but most of us don't live that way and so there is this choice point all the time right like Okay, here's the choice I'm going to make, um, and I think the most Jewish thing you could possibly do, like you know, is make that choice. Is just is make the choice. Be thoughtful about it, um, not like oh my God, it's Friday in one table's business. I didn't. I said before the behavioral um, the um, setting habit formation. So there's this there's a professor from Stanford named B. J. Fogg, and he created a formula that then shows up in other people's books, which is B behavior equals M A T B is behavior equals motivation plus ability plus trigger, right? So, right. So, motivation the motivation for Shabbat can be any of the things we just said. I'm exhausted. That's perfectly legit. I really miss people that I love. Also, legit. I want to be in community. Also, legit. It feels good. It tastes good. Uh, sex, all of those things, right? Really good motivations for Shabbat. I'm celebrating my nephew's uh, birthday tonight. We're calling it Shabbat because his name is Bodhi. Right. <laughs> that's so like cute. there's, that's, <laughs> I can't wait. That's I'm highly motivated. Right. So, so then, yeah. so then what's the ability, right? So this is where, where you're just right. You can get stuck. Well, yeah. my, do I have the ability? Well, what, what do you need in order to be able to make Shabbat and what's the list there? So it, we could say, well,
0: Oh, were you asking me? I. Uh, I mean, you can a-
1: you can answer definitely. I have data, but okay. I'd love to hear from you.
0: I would imagine you would need a table. You would need the okay. wine. You need the challah or any kind of bread. You needed a cover for the bread, so it could be a napkin or it could be a specific cloth, retrofitted for challah. Candles, candlesticks, and, at yourself and your presence.
1: Those are great. So that's okay. pretty. Those are those are good, and I would think those are all like tools. Um, and and clay kodesh like I um, ritual items that can right. make it beautiful. When you keep a Jewish ritual, there's a admonition to beautify the rich, the commandment. It's called hidor mitzvah. Hidor from hadar from beauty and great. Okay. So that's why we have like nice candlesticks and and a nicely so you put your wine in a pretty cup and you have a pretty cover for your challah. And challah itself is beautiful, right? Like why does the bread have to be beautiful? Because of hidor mitzvah. Because it makes it more beautiful, tastes better that way. But really. The first thing you need to do is like, remember <laughs> that it's Friday and and that this is an opportunity for Shabbat, right? You might need an invitation to someone else's home because you are by yourself. So that's a need. Or you might need other people to come and join you. So that's a need. You may, it costs groceries um to host... To people for dinner, so you actually may need financial support. You may not have a table, but you might have a picnic blanket or a backyard or a common room in your building or whatever. So that's an interesting thing. Is like, what's my space? You. Some people would say you need a community in which to be to do this, so you're not by yourself. But I do think that you know once we started to kind of understand what gets in the way. So you said most people do Shabbat, but in fact most do not right? 80% of American Jews do Seder, but maybe 20% participate in Shabbat on a regular basis. The, right. the opportunity is huge. The need is great, right? We didn't even talk about loneliness and alarming numbers. 52% of young adults identify as lonely, like really lonely. What does that mean? They doesn't have someone to call when shit gets hard. Like that's terrible. What do we do to make to help people find people more connected and how might Shabbat be that be that source? So you might literally need a friend in order to do Shabbat, like all those things. Mm-hmm. So you know, as a plug for one table, one of the things that we do is figure out, okay, well, here's those needs, how do we address them? Here is a technology platform that works like Airbnb, for Shabbat dinner, so you can have a host profile, guest profile, and actually get matched up. Here's nourishment credit, which is financial support to make it easier to actually either buy those pretty things that you talked about, or just groceries, or prepared foods, or a table, right? And then there's coaching, like I don't remember how do I do this, or can I? When do I get? The, how do I get the chicken hot and and also serve the people? Versus like what are those blessings again? right? So here's sure. the blessings, there's audios and video recordings. We have a new campaign called How I Shabbat with five different people showing the way they do candle lighting. They do Hamotzi, they, for the blessing over the challah and, or, or Kiddush, the blessing over wine. So you can get like, Ooh, how would I do it? I, I want to do it my way, but I also want to understand how other people are doing it. So there's modeling. There's, there's a lot of different needs. and And then we get to just, you know, start and do it again. And the beauty, th- beautiful thing of every seven days is that if you mess up, you have another do-over. Like for the rest of your life, there's a do-over, like constant, constant opportunities for do-over. The last one, that's habit, equal um, behavior equals uh, motivation, ability. And the last one was T, which stands for trigger. So trigger is the reminder. Oh, right. It's Friday, right? Oh, right. Shabbat's coming. I have been doing Shabbat my entire life. My trigger is internalized, right? So on Monday or Tuesday, I'm like, who's going to come for dinner? How do I make sure people are invited and I codify and clarify it, right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm maybe not having any company this week. This is going to be a Shabbat. This is a pajama Shabbat, right? That's that's my intention and I have it internalized. For one table, most of our users are, this is new. It's a new practice for them. So every single Tuesday, we send out a reminder. Shabbat's coming this Friday. Post your dinner by midnight tonight. And hundreds of people respond to that prompt every week, right? We do an average of about 600 dinners a week and half of them get posted between Tuesday afternoon and Tuesday night when we send out the reminder, the trigger, right? Ideally, if one table is successful, more and more dinners would be posted way before Tuesday or people don't even need one table at all. And they're still doing this practice because they've internalized the trigger. We know they're motivated. They now have the ability and they've internalized the trigger. And now we have... The behavior change,
0: amazing, amazing. Behavior equals motivation and ability. And by tri- sorry, let me say trigger. And, no, no, I know, I know. I, I said it funny. Um, aliza that's amazing. What you're saying is that the behavior of Shabbat will always equal motivation times ability. Time's trigger, and I think that's really just moving. What a huge mitzvah you've done for the world! What a huge mitzvah that you've brought to so many young Jewish professionals like myself here in America, and even around the world. Right? It's a. It's... Well, we're
1: slowly going around the world, but there have oh, okay. been, um, oh, but we're yeah. almost now, at two hundred thousand people here in the U.S. So wow,
0: that's pretty exciting. Amazing. Yeah, 200, that's two hundred thousand people that you've impacted. You got to. I mean, I don't. If, if I were the head of one table, I'd go home with the biggest ego. Like, yeah, I just did a myth for, for 200,000 people. No, like, like no one, no big deal. It's huge, Aliza. Seriously, many brachas to you and your amazing family with you and Bradley and your three daughters. And uh, thank you for being on this amazing, on this podcast. And thank you for really just. You inspired me. I think this is just a really educational and enlightening conversation. So, um, thank you again for being on this show. If My someone pleasure. wanted to get connected with One Table, and if you wanted to, you know, perhaps make that 200,000 to 300,000 or whatever the number is, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? easiest to
1: go to one table.org it's easy to spell easy to find uh, we're also uh on social at uh, one table uh, shabbat on instagram those are the best ways to find us and one of our field managers who are all over the country will respond right away and get to know you
0: amazing Eliza klein this has been a privilege shabbat shalom
1: shalom